Today's sponsor is Sneakers, a DC DMV sports apparel company. Go check out their very cool designs at sneekis.com. Hoodies, t-shirts, hats, and at checkout, enter Pixel and Roll and get 10% off your order. Also, in the process, you help support independent media. So go do it. Thanks a lot. And now, it's the Pixel and Roll Show with Adam Margulis. Don't call it a comeback. What is up, Doe? Welcome to another edition of the Pixel Roll Show, where we discuss this incredible basketball team, your Washington Wizards. Hello, everyone. This is Adam McGinnis. It is March 12th, 2017. March Madness Selection Show is upon us right now here on a Sunday, late Sunday afternoon here in the nation's capital. But we're going to discuss some NBA basketball because your Washington Wizards are rolling. They're 41 and 24 in the season. 4 0 in the current road trip. Have won back to back thrilling overtime victories. A lot is going on with this basketball team. With me today, my main man, Mr. Rashad Mobley. Rashad, what is cracking, bro? How are you? That was a hell of a game last night. I'm, I'm <laughs> tired. I lost an hour, but it was, it was well worth it. Yeah, daylight savings time. I, you know, as I got older, I kind of liked the extra hour sunlight. When I was younger, I wanted the extra hour sleep. I don't know. But you you have a young kid, so you probably want both. <laughs> I always vote for more sleep. <laughs> that is cool. Well, I am Jax as well. Uh, my uh, seventh grade boys basketball team, the Cougars, just won the NBA, the, uh, NBA title. The uh, Gel of Boys and Girls uh, League Championship today repeated. Uh, and won a thrilling victory by three points, uh, and so I'm pretty jacked about seventh grade hoops. So a lot of a lot of positive things are happening in my life uh, currently when it comes to basketball. So uh, pretty pumped, Rashad. You should be. Congratulations on your team, Bob. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I I almost I don't want to go too much into it, but oh my goodness gracious! Uh, yesterday we won the semis, fifty to forty-seven. Played terrible defense, and today we won thirty-six to thirty-three. Played really good defense. So maybe I am. Like Tony Bennett of Virginia or maybe Randy Whitman where I was more pumped about the good defense we played than I did about the better offense. But I was proud of the kids. They were happy. We got a trophy. Took some photos. Uh, you know, now it's just a pizza party because I'm, they're still 12. Uh, but Rashad, let's get into this basketball team. They, like I mentioned, 4-0 on this road trip since, uh, the last podcast. They have beat Denver 123 to 113. They won Friday night in Sacramento, one thirty to twenty-two in overtime, and last night in Portland, one twenty-five to one twenty-four in overtime. Where would you like to start? I mean, we probably just just go in chronological order. But man, let's just mention this Blazers game last night. I mean, you were—I watched it on DVR late night when I lost the hour. You were up late, maybe you watched it live. Man, what the hell, dude? That was that was unreal. I watched it live, and I got to tell you, they looked. They got off to a quick start, which surprised me. They went up like 11-4, and then, you know, the Blazers just heated up, and you saw, I think, Kyle tweeted about how there was this real lazy closeouts by the Wizards, and the interior defense wasn't that great, and they just looked completely lethargic. Um, now, they shot well at the end of the first quarter. I think they shot like over 50%, but the Blazers were shooting over 60, and it was only 36-30, but you could just tell that Lillard, and particularly McCollum, were just heating up. So by the time... The second quarter start, I mean, the bench gave them nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. Jennings didn't do anything. It just gave them nothing. And as we've talked about before, just the dejected looks on the faces of Wall and Gortat. And as the starters came in, it's like, damn, you know, can we get a rest? And it just, they didn't have it. I mean, they, they were down by 21 at halftime. And I, I joked around on Twitter, like, you know, they're, they're going to get blown out. But they... They deserve to get blown out, and you know it's it wouldn't have been a big deal given they were three and zero so far. It's a lot of games, 
I mean, I, I would have been happy with a loss to Portland, which arguably is the best team that they played up to that point, considering the backcourt. They've underachieved a lot, but that's still a backcourt that could put up a lot of points. And so I'm having all these conversations in my head like, okay, this is going to happen. And even in the third quarter, I mean, you watch the game, even in the third quarter, it's like they were finally matching Portland's energy, but Portland hadn't come down. And they worked the lead down to nine points, and it just looked like it was going to be a moral, respectable victory. You know, Scott Brooks talked about, he told his team at halftime, we need to get, if we're going to lose, we're going to lose playing Wizards basketball. So it's like, okay, they're playing Wizards basketball, but they're still down by nine. This will be a respectable loss. But I, I could not have predicted what happened in the fourth quarter. I mean, I forgot, Bill heated up in the third quarter and scored like 16, 17 points, but I just could not have foreseen what happened in the fourth quarter. I thought they would lose energy. I thought they would fall short, and it just... It, it was it was amazing to watch this team just just never give up. Yeah, I, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, they were down seventy to forty nine at halftime, and you you are correct. The second unit was awful in the first half, but I thought that they played some respectable basketball more so in the second half. Gotten some better sets. Uh, uh, Bojan buckets hit a couple of big threes, and they and uh, Mahimi played some better defense. And Jennings, who was awful, terrible in the first half, I thought settled down a little bit more. Oh, yeah, he started finding uh, Bogdanovich a little more in, in the second half. And, you know, I, I think that that's, that's something that when they're going well, that's a good combination. But Jennings still is, is hesitant. But at least in the third quarter, he was making, you know, he was penetrating and he was, he was kicking and he was, he was doing the things that he can do. He was doing everything but scoring. That, that still hasn't come yet. But, you know, still the bench gave him – I think 14 points out of the 125 they scored. It just it could have made things a lot easier. But and that and that fourth quarter, it was just I, I don't know. I've never seen that was the first, even in the Cleveland game. I've never seen a team just fight so hard, just so scrappy. And you know between you know Wall getting where he wanted and Bill hitting shots and even Gortat, who normally doesn't even play in the fourth quarter, was in there getting tip ins and everything. And it was just could see that after a while they were still tired and they still weren't playing great defense, but they knew that if they pushed just a little more, they they, they could win the game. Yeah, it, it, it did, you know, they had this billing of the backcourts, right? Beal and Wall and, and Lillard and McCollum. Oh, my goodness. If, you, if you're not a fan of either of those teams and you just like NBA basketball and you watch that game, you're like, oh, my gosh, like both of those backcourts are phenomenal. Yeah, McCollum is just so efficient. I mean, he did most of his damage in the in the third quarter, in the second quarter, I believe. But he's just there isn't a lot of wasted motion. I mean, it's like watching Bill, where he gets to where he needs to go, and that's it. And unlike Bill, he doesn't do a lot of jerking, a lot of moving around. He makes one move and he gets to the basket. And you know, it took little Lillard a little while to get heated up. You could tell he was pissed in the in the overtime period and part of the fourth quarter. But it was it was. I mean, you're not going to see better ball played by the backcourse. They were they were just fired up. Yeah, and it's weird too is that Lillard was, gosh, he was sensational there in the overtime, and he made two huge buckets that probably should have gave them the victory. And one was a, a deep three. The Wizards were doing really poorly at defending, uh, especially the three point line, especially from a couple feet back, which which we've seen McCall and Lillard can hit those shots. But I thought John Wall. Really took it to him. Uh, got him in foul trouble there in the first half, especially. Got him frustrated on some of those calls, but that were going to go in John Wall's way. But Lillard, John Wall was initiated, but Lillard was out of position. And John Wall's coming way too fast at him, and, and John Wall's drawing the contact, and they were legitimate foul calls. I can see the frustration of Lillard. I mean, he had six turnovers, five fouls. He did obviously have 33 points, uh, shot 13 to 27. And then McCollum at 34 points and zero turnovers and six assists. And, and then even Alan Crabb uh, for them hit some big threes. And there was a time, I thought especially in the first half, you go back where, you know, Markeith Morris really uh, rescued himself because I thought he, he contributed to a lot of, of the, in the first half. Marius Harkless was giving it to him. I was like, when did Harkless be able to make these moves and dunks? Do you remember Harkless doing that kind of stuff? No, this not. He was just hyped up for this game. But, it, but, but you're right about Morris. Morris just looked like he was. I mean, they all looked like they were going through the motions, but particularly Morris and uh, and Otto Porter. They just they had they had nothing to give. But then, but then, but down the stretch in the fourth, Keith hit some big buckets. He had a, a, a 
crucial and one. And the Wizards, another weird part about this game, even though we talked about how we're going to start the other, we might as well just go in the Blazers, so let's finish it out, was that there was probably three or four times in the game where I thought the other team was going to win. I mean, like, at halftime, I thought Portland obviously is going to win this game. And then the Wizards uh, come back, and they're up six points, dude, with like, what, minute and a half left? And then I was like, oh, the Wizards got this. They go to overtime. Then I thought Portland was going to win the game in overtime. When they're up four, uh, they're up three, and Bradley Beal got fouled. And then he had made, he made two of the three free throws, and then Wall had a huge block. It was set up, uh, the play we'll, we'll talk about here. But going back to when they're up six, they called a bullshit technical where I'd never seen Scott Brooks, I mean, I've seen Scott Brooks get mad, but I'd never seen him as mad and irate. Like the bench, the staff, everyone. Now, it was, it was really hard to tell what the play, what it was. I mean, at first, Buck and Phil were, Thought it was a foul, maybe, or thought it was, uh, which I thought it was a bullshit foul, or maybe Markeith mouth off to the ref. No, but they called a three second defense a foul, even though the defender was right there that the guy was on. I thought it was completely bullshit. And then they get the point, and then I think, uh, Aminu hit a three, so they got four points on that. Uh, and then they go back in, and then they hit a tie, tying shot. I thought that was a very crucial moment of the game. Even before that, uh, when Beal had another one when I, uh, Beal had missed a, a layup, and then they go down, and I thought the Wizards were cooked. There was like four minutes left in the game, and the, the Blazers were up maybe like eight points, and I thought it was over. The Wizards going on a huge 11-0 run. And so, I mean, there's just so many momentum swings when I'm discussing in this, uh, Rashad, where you could go either way. What are your thoughts that at the end of the fourth quarter before we get into overtime? Well, I thought, you know, the you know Morris hit a uh, he had an and one three-point play to put the, the Wizards were down one. 98-97, and at that point, you know, you would just watch how much energy the Wizards had expended just to get it to that point. And then Portland went on a little mini run. You know, they went on a, I think it was a 6-0 run or something like that, but they went back up 9. And at that point, I thought the game was over. You know, I thought, okay, here, Lillard is heating up. The Wizards are starting to falter a little bit. And, you know, then Wall hit a 3. You know, yeah, and then huge Wall, three. not just a 3, but he got going. He made about... I think about nine points in a row. Yeah, he had like a nine zero run himself. Yep. And you know, then they got rolling, and then, like you said, that right up until that that uh, technical foul that they called on on um, on Morris, it looked like the Wizards were going to win. I mean, they were up by six points. It was a minute left, and then you know, between that and the foul that that Porter committed uh, right at the end of the game, where Nurkic oh, kicked those yeah, two free throws. Yeah, that's right. You know, and then. You know, what was interesting to me is, and we've talked about it and I wrote about this, how much we praise Scott Brooks's ability to call plays out of a timeout. And so once the game was tied with 23 seconds left, I just assumed he was going to call a play that was going to have him win the game. Now, I mean, it ended up, it wasn't just a typical wall ISO play. I mean, wall ended up getting a really open and makeable shot, a shot that he had made several times during the game. He just missed it. But, you know, when he missed it and they went into overtime, I'd still had concerns about stamina because this is, these are consecutive overtime games and I just didn't know where, you know, where the Wizards energy would come from. And, you know, at the, at the beginning of overtime period, like, like we talked about, Lillard was just on fire and a different wizard was, was, was coming back every time. First it was Porter, then it was Wall, then it was Gortat. They just kept hanging in the game. Well, let's go back to the end of regulation where Wall got that look. Now I saw some people on Twitter online were hoping that, that the play call would go for Beal, but I was actually okay with uh, Wall and his look and the fact that Wall had been shooting the ball so well, and it wasn't your typical ISO John Wall one-on-four, and even in the Sacramento game, I thought John got a really good look uh, at the at, at the end of regulation where he could have won the game. Uh, what did you think of that shot? You, you feel like it was okay, the one that Wall I took? feel like it. It was, it was a damn good look. I think he shook Crab or somebody he left actually on the ground as he was going by them. He had a wide, there was nobody around him. He had a wide open shot from the free throw line he just missed. I think where we get upset with Wall is when he's taking on one on three or he's, he's kind fade, of, he's fading away, right? Those fadeaways. Right. Taking those kind of shots where it's not in rhythm and it's, it's definitely not in the rhythm that he's built during the course of the game. This shot was a shot that he had taken and made during the course of the game. He just didn't make that particular one. You can you can live with that, but you know we'll we'll get to the end of overtime. But I just I found it interesting that Scott Brooks changed his philosophy at the end of overtime and decided to take it out of Wall's hands 
and give it to Bill. And I, you know, it, it worked. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it worked. And I just, I, I wish I had been at that game to figure out why he switched up his philosophy at the end of, uh, overtime. Yeah. So Gortat tips in a shot at overtime to give the Wizards a 121 to 120 lead. Uh, Lillard goes down and makes a floating shot. Incredible move. Beal misses a, a two point shot. And then Lillard goes down and makes another layup. Uh, the Wizards blow a rotation. rotation. Lillard, they goes a timeout. Lillard's pumped up. The Blazers are up three. And then out of the timeout, you know, they, they run a good play and Beal gets a shot and, and I think it was Crab totally fouled him. It was a foul. And then Bradley misses the first free throw, but clutchly makes the next two. Uh, and the Wizards, then it's like, what is it? It was like 31 seconds. So now they can play defense, right? So they go down and play defense. The wall blocks Phil Willard's, uh, Lillard's shot. Uh, Gortat gets the ball. And then they set up the play out of bounds. Actually, no, they went down and Brooks was freaking out. And I thought maybe they'd play it out, like Phil Jackson style. Uh, would not take a timeout. Brooks freaks out, calls a timeout. Once again, like you had said, you know, the Wizards have been so good at out of bounds plays. I mean, Buck, Buck almost has an orgasm all the time about it. Uh, you know, especially with Wall and Beal, they almost kind of know each other on some lobs. It's kind of weird to see Beal and Wall sometimes lob it to each other. But they I mean, Buck always mentions about once a game, they get a bucket off of those, and it's true. And then, so they run this play, and now they have, I think Beal ends up with the ball and makes a playmaking move underneath the hoop, and there's Markeith, uh, pump fakes, goes in rhythm, and drills a shot, 0.4 seconds, people go nuts. Now, so then I'm all happy. I'm watching it, you know, watching it on replay. I hadn't seen what happened live. And all of a sudden, like, you could hear the crowd, like, they're like freaking out and freaking out. And I was like, did they must have showed the replay on the Jumbotron, I'm assuming. And, you know, the, the, the Blazers coaches and players, they want them to review it. And on the replay, they show that Markeith Morris did touch the out of bounds. Uh, but since, is it is it is it where it used to be in the NFL? They've changed the rule now, where like the NFL be like, if you ruled it a fumble, then you could review it. But if you ruled it down, then you can't review it. It's, it might be something like this. Where well, not even that. They couldn't call it because if if that had been the game winning shot and the buzzer had gone off, they would have been able to review it. Oh, That's, see, I that, didn't know. I didn't know that part. Yeah, there were point four seconds left, and that it was a non call. They just not like they called that play in either way. When the basket went in, they called it a made basket. It wasn't until they showed the replay. Later that you saw that Marquise stepped out, but that's not a reviewable play. And even live, did you think he stepped out live? I didn't even think. Thought he stepped, it was kind of weird. He stepped back, and obviously, the, you know, the heel of his of his shoe clipped the out of bounds line. But I was looking at the refs too in the replay, and there was just no way those refs could have seen that. By the way, no, and you couldn't see it on TV because I mean, I guess Portland is one of those places where the crowd is. It looks like it's right on the floor, so I couldn't. You could barely see. But I want to go back to that block. You know, after John Wall blocked Lillard, which was, which was a, gr- a great block, by the way, because, I mean, the way Lillard was going, he could have easily stretched the stretched the game out and pretty much ended it. But after, it's one of the few moments that you'll see that Wall was just kind of out of sorts. He was dribbling. He was looking back at Brooks. He was dribbling. And he just didn't know what to do. I don't think he knew. They hadn't discussed what to do in that situation about whether to go ahead and let it play. Like you said, like Phil Jackson would call a timeout. And I think once Scott Brooks picked up on the fact that Wall was tentative, I mean, he just sprinted down the sideline, was calling timeout, and was pissed at the refs that they didn't see him right away. So that was, you know, that was that was a, a good catch by by Brooks because they weren't, you know, you rarely see Brooks and Wall not in sync right there, but they weren't, and he was hesitant. So it was, it was great that they called timeout, but that, you know, I. I'm one of those people, and I think Ruben and I have talked about this. I think that Bill does need the ball at the end of games because he just creates different a different problem. I mean, when with, when Wall's coming down the court and he threatens to shoot a jumper, you're not as inclined to jump right away because you just he fades and that's not his strength. Whereas with Bill, particularly this year, he's adept at creating space, shooting at weird angles, and so you have to play up on him. And that's what happened at the end of the game where. You could tell by the way he was being guarded. They fully expected him to pull up, and he just kept going and got got the corner and threw the ball out. So, you know that was that was a, that ended up being the best out of bounds out of timeout play that uh, Brooks called all night, and it worked. So here's why I don't feel bad about us winning the game on that play is one we usually get screwed on stuff like this. Two, I just bitched about that technical earlier in the game. That was a huge play. 
Because the Wizards, told, I mean, at one point made a difference in this. So it was almost payback from that. Last year, we lost uh, in Portland on a McCollum shot, I believe, on Temple. And if you remember, there was like, seriously, it was like an eight-second call. Like, and I think they lost that game in overtime. It was regular. And I, I totally remembered it. And I think Jay Michael even mentioned it on the postgame show. Where, like, they, they, totally, they totally got screwed on that. It was it was our ball in the game. It was the Wizards' ball in the game would have been over. Uh, so I feel, hey, you know what? Hey, sometimes that happens. And, you know, it works out in the Wizards' uh, fashion. And if I was a Portland fan, I'd be pissed. But I guess what? I am not. And, and also, it is the last time the Wizards had won a game. And they showed it multiple times. It was when Jordan Crawford hit that shot, and I know exactly I know where exactly I was at. I, I was at. I was at Million Owls. Uh, it was on an inauguration night, uh, Obama's second inauguration. And yeah, man, it was it was incredible. Uh, Jay Craw going going deep for that game winner, and it's one of my favorite gifts. So it, there is a lot a lot to be going on here in Portland, and and in Rashad. Uh, it was also good to see. Another thing I thought was funny was when the game was over, everyone's getting booed, and the fans are freaking out. And you could see like the the teammates, like Beal was like motioning people, like, "Ah, right, let's go to the locker room, let's steal this victory, <laughs> let's go." Everyone get off the court before they switch it. <laughs> but you know, I, to go back to your other point, you don't even have to go back last year to the last time they lost to last year in Portland. Earlier this year, you know, LeBron arguably stepped out of bounds yes, before correct. he hit that shot to go into. Into overtime, so I mean, these the basketball guys tend to even these things out. But I, I thought at the end of the game, I noticed that as Bill was trying to get everybody off the court, you know, Wall made a point to meet with Lillard, and they they shook hands. And I thought Lillard, as pissed as he was, you could see he was pissed. I don't know whether it was that they let them back in the game or that he thought Morris stepped out. But there's a, there's a healthy respect between Portland, particularly between the two backcourts that, that, I, that I appreciate. And so I, I like seeing that even in defeat, as dejected as he was, he still took the time to, you know, to congratulate them. But Yeah, no, I, know, I noticed Wall and McCollum, like, chatting and smiling during the game and Beal and McCollum having a lot of moments of, like, you know, hey, we're going at each other, but there is a competitive fireness. Like, we don't actually, like, we're not dickheads to each other. <laughs> right. Uh, and here's Beal's comment before we move on. Uh, it was almost like we won the championship. Uh, we were throwing water around, beating on lockers like wild animals, but it was electrifying, man. We were excited, especially with a game like that when you claw back and fight your butt off. The Wizards, it was a, the, the largest deficit to overcome uh, in the NBA this year, uh, halftime of 21 points. Uh, the Wizards now are 25-6 and six since January 6th, the best uh, mark in the NBA uh, and Rashad, before we go into these other two games on the, on the trip, I mean, where are we at with this team? I, I mean, I mean, these games have been crazy. I mean, even that Suns game was like I was tripping on acid. Uh, the Kings game, which we're about to get into, was freaking wild. And even the Denver game had its moments, even though Washington pretty much controlled uh, throughout. But where, where, what is your feeling about this team currently? Well, I wrote in my with my write-up today that we, we almost have to recalibrate our expectations. I mean, I think for much of the year we've been saying, let's just get, you know, let's try to avoid Cleveland in, in the play, you know, in the early rounds and let's, let's try to get the four or five seed. And then it was, let's try, wherever happens, let's try to make sure the Wizards get the home court in their first round. And now, you know, you're looking at not just what's going on in the East, but just look at the NBA where, the Spurs are having some major issues between Kawhi and Aldridge, unfortunately. You know, the the Warriors aren't – it's going to be a while before they're at full strength, and the Rockets have kind of come back to earth. The Celtics lost to Phoenix of all teams, and the Cavaliers are you – know, I don't know what they're going to do today, but they have not been playing well without love. There, there, there aren't any dominant teams where you can say, okay, got to watch out for them. There are a lot of great teams who have the potential to be better but are kind of middling and struggling right now. And you're sitting there looking at the Wizards. I think they're two and a half out going into today's game with Cleveland Correct. or Cleveland's game. It's Cle- not, and Cleveland plays at Houston tonight, so that's going to be on a back-to-back. Right. So it's not out of the realm a possibility that the that that the Wizards could contend for the East. Uh, they could push Cleveland. I don't think that they will, but I don't think you would be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they beat Cleveland in a seven-game series because they just they've shown that as in on this road trip that they can win when they're at their best just sometimes. 
you know, if they're currently five thirty eight has the Wizards uh, at thirteen percent chance to get the top seed, thirty nine percent for the Celtics and forty eight percent for the Cavs. Now, granted, that's a lot of probability, but like. I mean, that's not nothing. It's not 1%. <laughs> right. And, I mean, the, the mark of a great team is being able to win even when you don't have it. Just like the mark of a great pitcher is when you're able to get the victory and you just don't have your best stuff. You just kind of will your way to win. And that's what the Wizards are doing on this road trip. They have not played well. They're giving up way too many points. The bench has been hit or miss. And, you know, they're 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 winning. So when they do play well, when they do come back home, or when they reflect on this road trip, they can sit there and say to themselves, we went, what, at the worst, 4-1 on a road trip where we did not play well. We can go home. We can fix everything. We can get more time with Jennings and Bogdanovich, and we can get everybody ready for this run. And so I, I think where we are is this team is a contender in the East. This is not just Cleveland and everybody else like it was last year where Toronto and Atlanta weren't able to put up real fights with Cleveland. This is, they have to take, as uh, Chris Miller said at the end of the broadcast last night, Cleveland now has to be a little scared looking at the Wizards because as badly as Cleveland is playing right now, when they played the Wizards, they were at full strength. There was love. Everybody was there except J.R. Smith, and it took Herculean efforts for them to beat the Wizards. And so, so how, 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 how worried... But here's the flip side of this, is that they're winning these games and they're not playing well. Totally. So much better, you know, and how important these games are. With, with, you know, the goals, they want to win 50 games, they want to get to the conference finals. I mean, now we can recalibrate potentially their goals of, hey, now you're, you know, you got house money. Now, you know, why not? Why not us? Right? And that whole, and that whole mindset. How worried should we be about the defense? Because cause the defense had been surprisingly better, especially in the January run and, and this whole turnaround. But you know, since the All Star break, we have seen a lot of uh, a lot of breakdowns. I don't know how much that is. Still trying to get you know Bojan and who is still even though Joe Mike, Jay Michael Lex has uh, shared tweets that he has good defensive plays. I mean, he has not been well defensively off the ball. Uh, you, and there has been some slippage on the in the in the in the first unit when it comes to defense. They were I think eighth or ninth. And the offense with 8th and ninth in NBA defense efficiency is now slipped to 15th. They are currently in defense efficiency. Now the offense is now is humming at 8th in the NBA. Uh, you know, in all these games, they're winning in the hundreds. But how concerned should we be about this defense? Or is it just a matter of, you know, they've still been shown ability to play defense. And in the playoffs, you know they will focus because that's how you win playoff games. But how concerned are you about this defense? Obviously, I know Scott Brooks is going to preach that. But it's weird that he's preaching this defense and we had played a lot better defense. Now it's slipping and we're still winning because our offense has been so well. And not and how much is it, especially in the first time, we've, we've dug ourselves a lot of holes with these defensive breakdowns. Now there is a lot of back-to-back excuses that you can make. But how concerned, what is your concern level with uh, how this defense is played, especially since the All-Star break. I mean, I, I suppose I should be concerned uh, because the teams that they're beating with these substandard defensive efforts aren't teams that are really good. I mean, if you look at it in the in the grand scheme thing. But I got to tell you, Adam, I'm not, I'm not worried because if the defense was – if they were losing these games – and the defense was this way, then then I would be concerned. But they're finding ways to win. I mean, Cleveland isn't exactly, and they're known for defense, but they've been giving up a lot of points too. I think they gave up was it one thirty or something earlier in the week. So I'm not. I've seen them do it. Uh, by the way, Cle- think, Cleveland's defense is twenty first in the NBA. By the way, <laughs> right. So they're they're. I mean, I'm. I suppose I should be worried, but I'm more encouraged that they are finding ways to win when they're not at their best. You know, so they, they've shown the resilience where they just don't go run and hide and the game's over, right? Right. So, now, I will say this. They're, the stretch is coming up where they're playing teams who are playing well as of late, like with Minnesota and uh, Dallas. The Bulls, not so much, but then Charlotte and Boston. You know, teams that, particularly Atlanta, that if you're not doing well in your runouts and your closeouts, they, they could burn you and hit a lot of threes in your face. I think then we can look back and say, are we worried? But... I'm not worried when you give up too many points or you kind of lose leads and you're still winning because that means that when you have to get stops, I think Portland shot uh, they shot under 40% in both quarters and the overtime period. So I'm, 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 I'm not as concerned. And maybe I'm being a homer right now, but I just 
these teams, these Wizards teams in the past, when they played the way they played last night and and in Denver and in Sacramento, they were losing these games. Yep. And they're but they're they're not losing. So I mean, how <clears throat> excuse me, how upset can you really be? Commercial break time. Sneakers. S n e e k i s dot com. Sports apparel. DMV style. They have a fresh new T-shirt. Old school DC basketball tee. That you should check out. Uh, I'm going to try to cop it myself. And at checkout, enter Pixel Roll and get 10% off your order. And you also help support this show, Independent Basketball Media. Now back to the podcast. The Denver game, I know you wrote about it and covered it. Uh, they dodged, I would say they dodged a bullet by Jokic, their best player, not playing. I, I figure it was illness. I, I don't understand why he was out, but... You know, the Wizards uh, won that game, like I mentioned, 123-113. to 113. Uh, They really kind of pulled away there in the second, late first, second quarter, built a big lead, kind of coasted in the second half, but still uh, were always comfortably ahead and made some big plays there at the end to close it out. What was your takeaways from that game? Well, one, Gallinari didn't play. And yes, that's right. The Manimal didn't play either. So they, they, they should have blown Denver out. And... You just knew it. when we're talking about defense. You knew at the end of the first quarter, the Wizards scored thirty-five and they looked great, but they allowed Denver to score twenty-eight. You just knew that this was going to be a game that they're just without play down to the competition. Um, I know this is a Wizards podcast, but the first thing that struck me from this game was how impressive Jamal Murray looked. I mean, he just he looked like he, he's going to be a player. I mean, he was fearless. He was going right at Wall, going right at Beal. He was hitting big shots in their in their mug, and I just I was. Was blown away by him. But the second takeaway was that the Wizards, this should have been a game, much like the Portland game in the first half, where they were up by 25 and the bench was able to play the most of the second half. And they, they, they didn't do that. And every time Denver made a run, they were able to step on it. It's like they were toying with, with Denver and, but they weren't, they just weren't looking like the playoff team that you want them to look at. You know, they went on, they would go on runs throughout the game and they would just kind of hang around. So it was, it was a frustrating game to watch because you know, and you hear Scott Brooks talking about this, how he wants to get Wall and Beal's minutes down. He wants them to rest and they, the bench just was and the, and the game itself that was just not allowing them to do that. So it was a frustrating game. If you had asked me about the defense after that game or during that game, I would have told you this is a problem, but you know, yeah, Wall, Wall had 30 points, 10 assists. Uh, Porter had 22 points. Kind of busted back from his mini slump. Beal had 23, 5 assists. Uh, Gortat went for 15 rebounds, 11 points. And Markeith, 11 points and 6 rebounds. And, and I've been kind of worried about Markeith has really slipped, I, I felt like, the last couple weeks, his play. You know, luckily, you know, Bogdanovich has uh, really bailed him out, and they've gone either small with Morris and even Gortat, even though he kind of bounced back the last two nights uh, this week with some solid games, but he'd been getting into foul trouble early, and I think he did get in some foul trouble uh, last night as well a little bit, but really uh, was came on strong at the end. But you've seen Bodanovich, you've seen Mahimi really step up uh, when they've been called upon, and even Jason Smith uh, has made some big buckets. I know, I, th- I think last night he didn't maybe have as many, but he definitely uh, was was huge against the Kings. Yeah, uh, big and, block too. yeah, yeah, and against the Suns. Oh, yeah, there was a huge block that that Porter had on. Oh, no, that was the Kings game. But it, but it, when we finish out the Denver game, you're right in the sense that. But here once again, you know, even though they were out with a lot of Keith's players, this is still the NBA. We've seen the Wizards blow these games. We've seen the Wizards lose in Denver. They were flying from Phoenix to Denver. Back to back travel schedule, the elevation. I mean, all those things have uh, showed out. I mean, last year when we put the dagger into the Washington Wizards was in a just pathetic defense that they had in Denver. Uh, I remember whether the Denver second unit just destroyed us. I mean, you talked about it uh, on this here podcast. So it was good to see them actually got it, got out there, got out a victory like this when they weren't on all four cylinders, and you have the whole context of them being worn down. Now, are we going to pay for this on the back end? Uh, of the season, uh, do, do you feel, do you feel that at all? I mean, I know we keep writing this, and it hasn't happened. Do you feel that there is a moment, or the Wizards maybe will have a, the second or third seed wrapped up, and maybe they start resting guys the last five games? I, I think that's that's a, you know I I wrote that down as I was doing my write up. I wrote that down as a question to ask Scott Brooks the next time they come, which is at some point 
are you going to rest players? Are you going to look at where you are right now? I mean, I know they're they're battling for that second slot, but the the furthest they can slip down is four. Yeah. And you know, so at some point, is he going to rest players? Especially or- if they lose to Boston, right? If they lose to Boston, I mean, I, it depends on the records too. But you know, Boston, I think would then have the tiebreaker, correct? Or no, well, no, we're two and one, so it'd be tied, right? Right. Okay, right. so it wouldn't matter, I guess. But I'm just wondering, you know, if Boston got up two or three games, but then they had they had this basically it'd be like if the Wizards had the third seed like wrapped up, right? I, I don't see them wrapping up the second seed. If they have the second seed wrapped up, Boston would really have to tank. Well, this, you know, this is this. I'm going to go back to the Portland game, but this is why I thought at some point during the Portland game that Coach Brooks would just let the lead continue to slip away more and more and make the bench fight it out and figure it out so that he could get his guys rest. You know, I I didn't think coaches do that sometimes. They just inexplicably don't put their starters back in, and you'll see the lead getting away, and they just don't want to bring their starters back in and. Halfway through the, not even halfway, three minutes into the second quarter, I wondered, okay, the, you know, this, this game is getting away from the Wizards. Is he just going to let the bench play and let Wall and Bill get rest? And he didn't. So I think, you know, if he's a coach, he's going to give us coach speak and saying, I don't believe in doing that. It's up to our bench to play harder and give our guys a blow. But I, I think the reality is the, the bench is not, it's not consistent. I mean, Bodanovich can go for 27 one game, but, and Mahimni can play well one game, but they haven't really put it all together consistently. And I think you have to at some point, particularly when it looks like you're locked in to a certain slot, you have to rest the guys because it's as as many minutes as they're playing, the playoff is different basketball. It's not just big minutes. It's physical. It's grueling. It's a shorter turnaround. And you wonder, particularly with Wall and Bill, who have both had injury issues, the longer they play, well, not even Wall, Bill in particular, the more minutes he's playing, the more we start relying on him. Is, is he going to break down? Yeah. To his credit, he has a, with an ankle, he turned his ankle. I think it was the Sacramento game, and Sacramento or Denver, one of those games, he turned his ankle. And I was thinking to myself, okay, that that doesn't look good. That looks like the kind of thing where he won't come back. And he came back, and it was just fine. So maybe Bills turned that injury corner, but I. As the minutes increase, I worry about him more than I worry about Wall. Yeah, what what is he up to now? Like, how many straight twenty point games does he have? It's like eleven or twelve, I think, right? Yeah, something and then, like that. And then, and he, and he was averaging twenty seven. I think he's up to like twenty eight, twenty nine, twenty eight points something uh, since the All Star break. So we were talking about how we discussed the snub would motivate him and stuff, and that's exactly how this has played out. He scored thirty eight points. Against the Sacramento Kings, 13 of 24 from the field, 5 of 9 from three point range, 10 rebounds, and 4 assists. He was clutch in their comeback. The Wizards were down 15 points in the fourth quarter. They go, they outscore the Kings 34 to 19, put the game into overtime. Beal hit some big shots, so did Wall, and the Wizards prevailed 130 to 122. Kyle shared a stat that in the, the Blazers game and the Kings game, that the Wizards outscored their opponents in the fourth quarter in overtime, ninety-one to fifty-eight, in the last two games. I mean, obviously that that means that you've dug a hole, like we've mentioned, and you don't want to do that. But wow, that is—I mean, when when that is, we don't really see something like that to just dominate when they're down, regardless of score, and to turn it on to a different level. Now, obviously, Sacramento is is struggling. I think they want to lose games, uh, where you know. Portland's a lot better team and has you know, way better players with McCollum and, and Lillard especially. But just to see that that resolve out of this team is something I just have not seen uh, maybe ever since being a fan. I can't remember. Well, let's not forget, I mean, Sacramento may be bad, but they had the Spurs beat. Oh, yeah, they were up like 20-something to the Spurs too, right? Right. So, I mean, this 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 Kings team, they're, they're scrappy, they play hard. And they're still trying to, I mean, Buddy Hill is getting an opportunity to beat Steph Curry that everyone says he is. And this is not an easy team to put away, particularly at home. I mean, Garrett Temple played well, at least for a little while. Um, so, you know, I, I don't... Well, Willie Colley-Stein was the one that was really giving them problems, especially at the end of the game. Uh, they were just running lob plays, and Gortat was messing up. Messing up. They had to put Markeith in. Uh, there at the end to try to deal with Kalisan, and it didn't really work out. He still scored uh, on some plays, and they were having some struggling defending uh, the pick-and-roll defense, but Beal and Wall has continually made plays. There's there's another one where Temple was all over Beal, all over Beal, and Beal just got like a little hesitation, a little sliver, and, and splash. 
And I was like, holy crap. Like, is this like his release is even getting more quicker? Uh, and that's, I know it's something that he's worked on with his trainer over the summers, but man, he has it going in a way that, uh, I have not seen him, especially, um, from three point. And, and now with Brooks encouraging him to take more threes, I mean, that's something that we've really developed out of his game. Well, if, if you think about it, he spent so many summers not working on his game, but working on his body, trying to get healthier or rehabbing or rest so he wouldn't re-injure something. And I think one of the things he mentioned and right before the season when Steve Buckhans was just in awe of, of, this, of his body is that he didn't just work on getting stronger. He also was actually able to work on some things that improve his game, some step backs, some ball handling. And what you're seeing now is kind of the combination of him staying healthy and him actually working on his game. He's actually able to take that step which gives credence, gives credence to those people who used to say, you know, he's like Steph Curry. He just had some injury riddle a few seasons, but now his body is matured. He's going to be fine. This is a very small sample size, sample size in just this season, but he's not, he's not burdened by, I don't want to re-injure this. I don't want to do that or minutes restriction or all that stuff. He's just playing and he's incorporating all the things that he had in his game and it's, it's, it's good to see. I also want to mention in this game that Buddy Heald, you're talking about Buddy Heald. I don't know how much of a I, I think that, is he the same age as Beal? Beal might be younger than him. I know Buddy Heald's like old, right? Yeah, he stayed four years. They may be the same age. Yeah, they may be the same age. And so Buddy Heald had a play, and they're going back and forth, and he tried to go at the rim, and Porter allowed him to go by him, and then he blocked it, and then Markeith blocked it. And it was a huge uh, play in the game, which helped uh, the, the Wizards pull this one out. I also want to mention Jason Smith was 4-4 in this game. I, I think he was shooting, like, didn't he, like, not miss a shot for, like, three games? It was something wild like that. Uh, Mahimi had nine points, uh, seven rebounds, unfortunately three turnovers, but two blocks. And so, he, and Bogdanovich had 17 points, even though that he uh, did not shoot the ball well. It was 0 for 5 from three. But you'd seen some production there. You know, last night they struggled as much. The starters really uh, bailed them out. But we've seen the Suns game. We've seen it now. We saw in the Magic game in the second half where we now have more options with Scott Brooks. And we have a lot more. We see some contributions uh, positively. You know, unfortunately, I think Kelly Oubre has been lost in all this shuffle. And he might even be... He might be the odd man out here in the playoffs as we uh, get going. It will depend on matchups, I guess, but in foul trouble. But I really see this rotation as uh, as being an eight to nine man unit. Yeah, I think Uber had his chance, particularly early yep. in the season. He had his chance where he could have distinguished himself, and he just he still, you know, he didn't retain that confidence he had in the summer league where he he rushes things. He's way too aggressive on defense. I mean, there's there's playing on the ball, and then there's being a little too handsy. He does that all the time when he gets bunches of fouls. He gets frustrated. He takes quick shots on the other end, and you know, I, I just think he's he's struggling with confidence. He's where Otto was at that point in his career, where you just don't have the kind. You don't know the one thing that you do well, and you're just not confident about that. So he's he may be the odd person now, but I wouldn't count him out yet. He may be needed to, you know, he's still. I admire his his spirit on defense. He still can give you defensive effort. He still has long ass arms and can be disruptive when he wants to. He's just not somebody you can count on. You can only put him in for limited periods of time. I mean, he's he's not quite in the Trey Burke oh, yeah. spot doghouse, but he, you know he can still redeem himself. Well, I, I thought also Sadoransky gave this team some good minutes uh, in the Portland game last night in the second half. When the the second unit had a little bit better run there in the third, the beginning of fourth, where he was he was able to find Markeith on some post ups, he was able to get uh, you know Bojan open uh, on some uh, three pointers and, and more in their spots where I felt that he really struggled there. It was not existence in the first half. Are you a fan of Sandoransky? What, what's your thoughts? Oh, sorry, I didn't I didn't hear you for a second. Oh. No, I, I, I said Alexander Ransky kind of helped the team get some guys into uh, their spots on offense in the, in the second half compared to where it was more discombobulated in the second half. And Brandon Jennings was just like throwing the ball out of bounds. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, there are times when despite the signing of Jennings, I still want Sadoransky on the floor. I mean, I, he, he's, he's still a little slow and he does, his shot is not consistent. But just in terms of strictly by judging him on how the offense is moving, the offense – moves better when he's at the point guard when he's at the point Jennings is still getting comfortable Burke is terrible 
I, I just think he needs to play more. Maybe you can play Jennings and Sadoransky together. I just, I hope that he doesn't go the way of Kelly Oubre and the coach starts losing faith in him because he's, he's closer to being a more productive player than Oubre and he just needs reps on the floor. And I think you can do that during this time because you're right. There are points in the game where, particularly when the second unit looks a little discombobulated, where he just, he's kind of the stabilizer and he needs to continue to be in the rotation. So what what would you do if you're Scott Brooks here? Uh, they have obviously flown to Minneapolis. They play the Timberwolves tomorrow night, Monday. Uh, then they return home to play the Mavs on Wednesday, the Bulls at home on Friday, and then uh, their next one, two, three, eight of their next ten are on the road. Uh, hold on, hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, seven of their next ten are on the road. Uh, I'm sorry, seven and nine are on the road. So, so you know it's going to be a tough stretch. We'll talk about that road trip here in a couple of weeks. But just your thoughts on this Minnesota game and these this Mavs and Bulls game, and what you like to maybe see with the rotation, or or what you think that maybe this team kind of tweaks uh, a little bit as they try to you know solidify their standings, but also look ahead to the future. About you know in one month, uh, the season will be over. And we'll be focusing on, you know, meaningful basketball. So you kind of, when, when you look at both of those, you know? Honestly, if I was the coach, and I, man, I would pull a Popovich, and I would not play Wall or Beal in Minnesota. Monday's game. In Monday's game, I would, I would just sit them because they've going home four and one on a road trip like this is a victory. They've already won in terms of. You know, you know how they're going to look at this road, this road trip, and so I wouldn't play either one of them. Especially a young team like the T Wolves, right? I mean, you might as well. You could, you could even win with their second unit guys. You know, <laughs> it's not like out of the question. Right. So I, I would do that, but Brooks won't do that. But at the very least, I would play everybody their regular minutes in the first half. I mean, in the first quarter, let everybody play, and then the second quarter, I would rest them. You know, I, I would start looking at that because. You're going home. The home games that they have are tough games, and then you're going back on the road for an extended stretch. You got to get your rest, and you can't rely on the flow of the game to get that done. Um, I, I, I just think that's the smart thing to do, and I, I think that it serves a dual purpose. You're getting rest for your guys, but two, you're getting reps for Ubre. You're getting reps for Sadoransky and Jennings and Mahimni and letting them get their confidence up without really sacrificing any place in in the standings. I think for that Boston game, you don't rest anybody. You got to go full tilt at that game. Uh, but, I mean, that's what I would do. I would start intermittently getting them rest. But I don't know. This is one of the things that I need to look at. Even, the, Ma- even the Mavericks at home, even though I know the Mavericks are playing a little bit better ball. But, but I, I want to research what Scott Brooks did with Oklahoma City. Was there ever any rest? Was there ever any adjustment to the rotation, or did he just keep going full bore the whole time? Because that, you know, that might determine what he does or does not do this time around too. But I think he can't. Like, if you're a coach, you just can't ignore what Tyrone Lou and what Popovich and now Steve Kerr are doing. You can't ignore that because they've had success and they know what they're doing. And you know, they're they're a little deeper than the Wizards, so he has to be looking at all that's going on, looking at what he's done in Oklahoma City, and then looking how many minutes his starters have had to play, even on this road trip, and I, I just feel like he and the coaches have to come up with some kind of plan where they're getting their guys some rest. Maybe you don't rest them, like, just sit them out all game, but you kind of do little things within the game to get them some rest, but that, you almost have to have that kind of a game plan, because two road trips in one month, and then, bam, the playoffs start. That's that's a lot. Mm-hmm. I agree. Speaking of the topic of rest, your impressions of the master uh, <laughs> sitting out his team on one of – it looked like one of the biggest, more fun games of the season with the, the Warriors and the, and the Spurs playing. Uh, we, I know the, the Aldridge heart news broke late because uh, the night before, after the Warriors lost to these T-Wolves uh, on Friday night – Iguodala finds out that he's not playing. Kerr says he's going to sit all these people. Iguodala made that weird master comment. I guess it's some inside joke. I don't know. I thought it was weird. Uh, your idea, two, twofold. I get where Kerr's coming from. He's, he's not there to protect the corporate interests or the advertising interests of ESPN. But as a general basketball fan, there's a few games a year that I want to watch. And that is one of them. I, you know, is it tough I think, you each way on this one? I, 
It is because if you really feel that way, why not rest them against Minnesota and then have them play the game against the Spurs? I, I just wonder. I I think that Kerr kind of saw what went on with Kawhi. Yeah. He like out Popovich, Popovich, right? <laughs> but not really, yeah. because Popovich was in a situation where he didn't play some people because he. I mean, Aldridge was out with you know arrhythmia related to his condition, and Kawhi was in concussion protocol. And maybe Steve Kerr was like, "Look, if at any time I'm going to rest." My players, this is it. It does me no good to play all my starters, to play my all-stars against a shorthanded Spurs team. That's going to prove nothing. If we win, we were supposed to win. We beat a shorthanded team. And if we lose, it's not a big deal. So I, I just think he did it that way. Um, I don't th- like. I think if resting well, players, but didn't Popovich rest players last year on some big game on TNT, and everyone was pissed off, and it caused this whole debate? And I don't oh, know. Yeah. The, I don't know if the answer is to stop that. And I get the personal interest of Kerr and Popovich, but as a general NBA fan, like that's a bummer, you know. <laughs> it is, but I mean, the fans fans will get over it. Fans are amazingly resilient, and by mid-April, when the playoffs are in full swing, nobody's going to think back to that time when they didn't see Steph Curry. Yeah. Like, I, I think. And I, well, I think, I think Matt Moore on CBS Sportsline made a good point about how this is the NBA's fault for backloading all these prime matchups, right? And like putting it on back-to-backs. Like if they're really like these are the most important games of the year we want on these primetime things, then put them more maybe earlier in the season. But they have their reasons, I guess, with football. But but there were big games early in the season and at yeah. Christmas time. I mean, I, I just think this is one of those things where you have to – I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a writer, but I'm a fan. I, I always know I'm going to look at the calendar and know there are certain games that there's just there's a probability for this to happen. I mean, it's just that's just the reality. I don't blame Steve Kerr at all. First of all, they're not playing well. That's number one. Number two, I think he just saw what was going on, on the other side of the floor with San Antonio. Be like, this this is a good time. Uh, I don't. I haven't really given thought about the the, the Iguodala comments. I mean, I. <laughs> You know, I, I think that a lot of it was tongue in cheek, but I also don't. Yeah, we're not going to get into this one. This no, time. no, no. I mean, no. Say, say your thoughts. It's fine. I just, I'm curious. I, I'm curious. You're, what you? What I you remember mean? being when Orlando, when Dwight Howard was still in Orlando, and he was at his locker, and he was taking long as hell to get dressed, but he was playing music that just had the N word all over the place, and I remember a lot of writers just felt completely uncomfortable um some felt uncomfortable because they actually knew the words of the song and they wanted to rap along and they couldn't but then some were just like awkward because this was going on and they're just trying to do their job and i just think that part of what iguodala did is he likes to make people feel uncomfortable you know he was mocking the athletes who give those stock answers where they just say i'm going to play hard you know he was mocking that but at the same time he was trying to make the media uncomfortable and this is something that he does but i just don't think i don't think it was necessary there you know i i, I just don't and i i thought that was well i think you know, he's saying that the inside joke is kind of lame don't you think well well i mean based on what i've heard about Iguodala, he does i mean he i don't think it was an inside joke i think it was just a joke and he does joke and i i just don't i don't i don't know there, there, there was something weird there and but you know that's well, yeah, I, I just, I just I, feel like there's too much ambiguity in that where people could take it any other ways they go and so i don't see the overarching point that he was trying to make unless it was just off the cuff but he obviously is not dumb and he has been outspoken about a bunch of issues I know, especially on Twitter and online, that, you know, I agree with some of his opinions, you know, and I appreciate, and maybe I don't agree with some of them, I appreciate his candidness on those issues, I just thought that that was weird, and I'm not even being like, sports talk radio, you can't say anything, just say your stock answers, but to bring up that connotation and just leave it out there for everyone else to interpret, I didn't really get it. Yeah, but I I get the feeling, I, I think that he's very calculated, and I don't think that was off the cuff at all, I don't think that... I don't think that he was going after uh, Steve Kerr. I just think he was going after the fact that he was being asked something like that. And, you know, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, I, I do think there are dumb questions asked by the media sometimes. But at the same time, I think that smart players like Iguodala like to distinguish themselves. And maybe he was just he was just doing that. I don't know. But yes, we, we've 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 gone off the rails. But that's a good time to uh, no, no, I think that's good. Who knows how long people will listen to this anyway? But uh, hopefully, well, hold on. I hope I hope you're still listening, uh, Rashad. Any parting thoughts before we go? I, I told you I'm going to keep this really efficient. 
Your wife would appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm going to watch this team very carefully now. Not not the last game in Minnesota because that's you're playing with house money for that game. But when they get back home and they start their little run before they go back on the road, I want to see how this team deals with quote unquote success because everybody's talking about them now. They're playing well. They're right around, you know, they're a couple of games out of being the number one seed in the East. And you just wonder what is Scott Brooks going to be able to keep them grounded going into this playoff stretch or are things going to start coming apart on, on the hinges? I'm, I'm very, like, this is a, it's a big time for a coach where you have to keep your team focused. You have to keep them sharp, but you also have to keep them grounded. And so for me, what goes on the rest of this month will be a referendum on what kind of coach Scott Brooks is, what kind of coach Scott Brooks is, and what kind of leader Wall and Bill are, because they're they're good and they've had a lot of success, but they're they're not L.A. They haven't proved anything yet, you know? right? I meant to say they're not Cleveland, they're not San Antonio, they're not Golden State. They haven't proved anything yet. They just proved that they're better than any other team that we can remember. But that, in the grand scheme of things, that's really not much. So I'm that's that's what I'm going to look at, and I I appreciate how. At halftime, if you looked at the post-game interviews at halftime, Scott Brooks was like, basically, what the hell are you all doing? We gotta get it together. I hope he keeps that attitude because it's not, it's just not gonna get any easier. I mean, look, the last thing, if I'm the Wizards, the last thing I wanna do is play Miami in the first round, right? Mm-hmm. So, maybe that's your motivation. You just try to position yourself so you can play a certain team, but they have to find something to push them through the rest of this month and right leading up to the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they, they're, they they didn't play well in the last homestand. I mean, I mean they played well against Golden State because they were the Warriors, but they were missing Durant. And, you know, they made some plays at the end of the game to win that. You can never take a victory away from Golden State. But like you mentioned, Golden State is in a funk. Did not play well against Toronto. Did not play well against Magic. And had to turn it on at the end to win the game. So I would like to see that. And then they did not play well against Utah, and Utah won the game. So since the All-Star break and their four home games, I mean, of the look at all the quarters – you know, most of the quarters they played poorly. And so I would like to see them to come back to Dallas and Chicago and really uh, use that home court advantage that they built up by having one of the best uh, home records and maybe get some starters rest, like you mentioned, get some other guys' experience uh, before they go to at Charlotte, at Boston, uh, and then and then they have Atlanta and the Nets at home before they go on the long uh, road trip. But Rashad, thanks so much for joining me, man. We got a little Sunday podcast. Uh, the brackets are being released. Uh, I have no idea who I'm going to pick this year. Uh, my Hawkeyes did not make it, so I'm pissed. Did did, uh, did your alma mater win their conference tournament, or who won it? No, they lost to uh, Maryland Eastern Shore on the other night, so they're not. Oh, Although the, the women, the Lady Pirates, oh, will be in the tournament. Okay, How okay. Hampton University, but the the men, no. What who won who won your conference tournament for men? To be honest, I, I shut down. You shut down after Hampton. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'll find out soon. You'll be like, F them. I don't want to pick them. <laughs> you, you, you will see. Yeah, so my Hawkeyes, I went to the Verizon Center, Big Ten Tournament, and they got smoked by Indiana. And uh, I was really pissed off. And now their bubble was burst. But they're supposedly the top seed in the NIT. So, awesome. But they have a bunch of freshmen. So, uh, it's a little bit exciting. So, anyway, Rashad... Uh, Thanks for joining me, everyone. Rashad's got a. Uh, did you, is your piece up yet on the Portland game? It'll be up here shortly. It's pending. Yes. Yes. So go go to Truth About It. Read Rashad's piece on the Blazers. Read Kyle's piece on the Kings, and Mr. Mobley has one up on the Nuggets as well. I will be at the Dallas Mavericks game on Wednesday, so uh, you can go check out some coverage of mine here coming up. And it's a fun time to be a Wizards fan. So keep uh, keep listening. Tell your friends and family. Uh, subscribe, leave a comments on the YouTube and or, I'm sorry, uh, YouTube, iTunes sections. Tell me I suck. <laughs> tell, tell Rashad's awesome. Uh, I know I'm sober too, and I'm messing up. I, I think I'm still jacked that I'm a two-time uh, coaching champ. Uh, just you know, seventh grade hoops has got me amped. But uh, yes, and go Cougars. Thank you, everyone, and as always, go Wizards. Peace out.
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 